Today is, is, is going to be our transition back to Romans. And it was back, I went back and looked, and it was, um, I, th- I think, probably that first Sunday in June or thereabouts that in reading some of the verses we're going to pull together today from Romans uh, chapter 1 and 2, it, it was from, from those thoughts that took us to all of this this series, if you want to call it that, the sermons that we've had over the last several weeks in talking about joy. And I believe the Lord will help us today to be able to pull those things together because in John 15, remember, we're looking at Jesus, the true vine. We're looking at God the Father, the vine dresser, And then we're looking at all of mankind being either one of these two branches that that is going to be talked about, either a a fruit-bearing branch that has been attached and grafted into the true living vine of Jesus Christ, or a branch with no fruit that will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So so let's let's read once again... uh, John 15, verses 1 through 11, as we prepare to transition, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version today. I am the vine, and remember, just a reminder again, this is Jesus speaking. And remember the time frame of this. This is right after they have been in the upper room. This is right after Judas has has left the eleven and Jesus, and has gone to portray Jesus into the hands of the chief priests and scribes. And so here, this is, uh, we, we know from Scripture, that this is in the evening, is coming into nighttime, and as they're walking uh, from the upper room toward Gethsemane, and ultimately to the cross, Jesus takes the time to continue to try to teach His disciples and tell them of who He is and who they are in Him. And, and imagine walking this road, and, and I know I've shared this many, many times, but picture the, the hillside. Picture, if you can, the many different vineyards that are along the way, and picture Jesus taking the time perhaps to pause, and I can almost see him with a cluster of grapes in his hands, and that's just me getting a picture here. And then he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, 
You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, you will, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? Why did He speak these things? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And as I've said, as we've read this many times over the last several weeks, the analogy of Jesus is very simple and is very clear. There's only two kinds of branches that is coming off the vine. Only two kinds. Only two types. And everyone on the face of this planet is one of these two branches. Either eternally alive in Christ, grafted into the true vine, or a dead branch bound for eternal fire. There is no third option. All are one of these two. And so now, let's go back to Romans 2. This is, this is where we left off in Romans 2, and then we went into the series on joy. Uh, and, and again, understand what Jesus was talking. And again, the analogy very clear, two branches and only two branches. And now we're going back to the Apostle Paul in, in, in Romans chapter 2, and we're picking up back where this, this will be reviewed to meld these two together, that, that there are only two eternal outcomes that will come to everyone, 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 all who will one day stand before the Lord. So in Romans 2, let's read verses 5 through 10 today. But in accordance with your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Let me pause here. Now, which branch would this be talking about? This is talking about the non-fruit-bearing branch right here. The ones who will be gathered up and cast into the fire. You are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray once again. So Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I'll pour out your spirit upon us. Guide us into truth as has already been said. Oh Lord, help us, make us in, into what you would have us be. Let us learn from you today. Oh, word of God speak, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Two branches, two destinations, two eternal outcomes. Now, 
In chapter 1, let's go to Romans 1, verse 18, we learn that God's holy wrath is upon the unrighteous. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, God's holy wrath, perfect wrath, is upon the unrighteous, the ones who practice sin. And by practice, we mean no repentance, there's no turning from sin, but a pattern of life that continually practices sin. And we also know that the judgment of God will be according to truth. The truth of what His Word says. Romans 2, 2. But we know, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And again, you could go back there at the end of chapter 1. We're not going to read those today. All of the sins that are there, those who practice these things, the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. ESV reads, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. In NASB says this, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So God's judgment will be right. It will be perfect. It will be just. Always. He is a perfect God and He will be just. Everyone who leaves this old world and will stand before Him will be treated rightly and justly. To the unrighteous, Romans eight, Romans 2, verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Uh, we, we've talked about all these things weeks or months ago, and we'll be talking, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday and in the Sundays to come. We're going we're to spend more time in chapter 2 and talking about and remind ourselves of what that means, the Jew first and then the, then the, uh, the, the Greek. But it's indignation and wrath upon those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Those, again, who practice sin... God's wrath is toward them and remains upon them until such time where they may come to the knowledge of the truth. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son, Jesus Christ, the gospel according to Jesus Christ, he who believes in the Son has what? Everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God's wrath abides, remains upon the unbeliever, the unrighteous. And wrath signifies the strongest kind of anger. 
Oh, but God, I can I can hear someone are trying wanting to argue with me, and you I know as you've been out and around people there you've had these probably conversations. But God is love. But God is love. Oh yes, He is. He loved the world so much He sent His Son. Yes, God is love. But God is just, and His word is true. And let's read all of God's word and see and, and learn everything about God. And know that the, the wrath of God abides upon sin. Because you see, when judgment time comes, it will mark the end of God's patience and tolerance with unregenerate, unrepenting mankind. Oh, He is patient. Right now, we're, 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 to, we're to age of grace and, and mercy that God doesn't pour out His wrath even now, giving us what we deserve right now. That is God's loving kindness and long suffering and patience. But one day, that will come to an end. One day, that will come to an end and His wrath will be poured out. Now, how will God's wrath be expressed? How will it be made manifest? Paul's next words in there, tribulation and anguish. Uh, Verse 9 in Romans 2. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. And you'll remember uh, that we talked about tribulation as meaning trouble, affliction, and pressure. And probably you will remember we talked about the tribulum uh, used by the farmers to separate the wheat and the chaff. Remember that the grain would be laid on the threshing floor and, and the workers would take the tribulum and, and they would beat um, the, the grain and separate it. And so we get that word trib, uh, uh, tribulation from that tribulum to be struck, to be beaten, to be battered, to be bruised. And, and that is what is in store for the unrighteous. Everlasting tribulation. Now, what is anguish? And again, we talked about this. We're pulling it all together today. It means intense suffering. It means being in torment. It means to be confined and separated with no hope of any help or relief. And part of hell's torment will be its absolute, isolated, lonely, and eternal confinement with no possible hope of relief, release, or Eternity, there will be no escape. Tribulation and anguish, the branches gathered and cast into the fire. Jesus gives us a picture of this. Let's go, if it's it's perhaps been a while since you've read this, Luke 16. Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. We get a picture of this. Luke 16, verse 19 through 26. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now let me pause there for a minute. 
So what does that tell us about this beggar? Was he a branch that was bearing fruit? Yes. Yes. He was. He was carried to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man also died and was buried. Let me pause again. It's appointed to all men and women, everyone, once to die. All. It's a guarantee. It is. This will come someday, and I pray that it's way down the road, but this will be a point that everyone will face. So here, the rich man also died and was buried, and being <clears throat> and being in torment in Hades, <clears throat> let me pause again, what kind of branch was he? No fruit. A branch that was cast off, gathered up, and has now been thrown into the fire. You see that? And being in torments, torments, plural. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now I'm going to pause there again. Will those in these torments be able to see what they're missing out on? I'm going to put a perhaps there. Perhaps there. Because that would be torment upon torment, would it not? So perhaps, perhaps. So here is, is, is the rich man in, in Hades. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Cut off, gathered up, thrown into the fire. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. He was one of those. Eat, drink, and be merry. No thought, no consideration of the Lord. No fruit bearing. A dead branch. Never grafted into the true vine. Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Speaking of how he was treated and how he's there and the sores. And no doubt in my mind I can picture the rich man walking by and perhaps giving him nothing. But now, he, Lazarus, is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now, at least in my mind, I don't think true believers are going to be able to look and see that. Now, that's just me. Because that would, that would bring great sorrow. And, and I don't believe there's going to be sorrow, no tears in heaven. And that's why I say that. And perhaps those that are there may be able to see what they're missing out on. Perhaps. I've not dealt and dug into that enough 
to say, but perhaps. But this I know, there's a great gulf fixed. Can't go from there to there. You cannot buy enough indulgences to get you from there to there. Cannot. No such thing. Once we have died and gone to judgment, there is no changing your internal destination. There is no changing. Your fate is sealed at that moment. The chance for your fate to be different is while you're alive and living and breathing on planet earth. But once we've taken our last breath here, our fate, our eternal fate, is sealed. And there's no going from there to there. Paul said in Romans 2.9, let's look at it one more time, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Now, I want to go back, and, and again, we're pulling, getting us back to Romans. I, I want to remind ourselves of this truth. While on this earth, even as born-again Christians, will we have tribulation? Yes, yes, yes. Jesus told us this in John 16, John 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. And right after saying that, Jesus says this. In the world you will have tribulation. Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you just said, you've said these things so that we may have peace, and then you say we're going to have tribulation. Well, well, well what? Oh, can we have peace in the midst of tribulation? Yeah, that, that's what brought us through all of those sermons on joy. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You're grafted in me. You're drawing your strength from me. So be of good cheer. In this world you will have tribulation. But don't get stuck just thinking about that part of the tribulation. Don't despair at the thought of facing tribulation. But rather, do as Jesus said, be of good cheer. Well, <laughs> and I can almost picture or, or, or hear someone say, but, but how can I be of good cheer when I know that I'm going to face tribulation? Because as a born-again believer, we can face tribulation without anguish. Remember that? Remember us talking about that? We can face tribulation without anguish. Without, we can go through tribulation and not despair. We can go through tribulation and not lose hope. We can go through tribulation and not anguish. Be in torment. Let's read that verse 9 one more time. Romans 2 verse 9. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Now, I want to go back because we're going to talk about that that we talked about back in June. Again, that took us on the journey of joy. It's in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 through 9. And I bring this up because I need reminding of this. We need is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes. 
Yes, of the truth of God's Word. Yes. So here, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul brings a form of these same words, tribulation and anguish. So here, here's just a refresher and a reminder of what we preached about July, August, September. Four month, about four months ago. But we have this treasure in earthen vessel. The born-again believer... This body, this earthen vessel, what's the treasure that's within the Holy Spirit? We have have the Holy Spirit, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not in us. Remember what Paul said, when I am weak, I am made strong. And then Paul goes on to say, we are hard-pressed on every side. Hard press, same word, same Greek word as tribulation. So we, we're facing tribulation all around. We are hard pressed on every side. Same, same thing. Yet not crushed. Yet not in anguish. Same Greek word. You get that. So that that's important that, that we see that and we get that because Paul is talking about this and he's talking, talk, and, and in Romans, all that he's talking about. So, we're hard-pressed on every side. We're facing tribulation all around, yet not crushed. Paul is saying, yet not in anguish. We're perplexed, and he goes on to keep this analogy going. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Listen, child, child of God, we can face tribulation, yet not be in despair. We can face tribulation and yet not be in anguish. Amen? And what's the key? The treasure in earthen vessel. The power of the Holy Spirit that the child of God has. So when tribulation comes, and it will, remember you're not forsaken. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So keep your eyes on Him and not on your circumstance. Keep looking to Him because He is bigger and greater than your circumstance. He is. 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 4. Let's go a little further. Verses 16 through 18. And Paul says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though... Our outward man is perishing. Just consider all, let me pause there for a moment, just consider all that the Apostle Paul went through, all the suffering, all the pain, all the trials, all the tribulations that that he went through. He was brought to the point of death many times. The outward physical man is perishing. And in all reality, it's the same for us. That this outward jar of clay is perishing. But yet, Paul says, the inward man, the new man, the born again, the regenerate, the spiritual man is being renewed day by day. His grace is sufficient. His mercies are new 
every morning, you see. And he goes on to say, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the, at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Talking about the things that are seen, the physical, all the thing, all the, the trials, the tribulations, all those things that we can see that are coming at us, all of those things, temporary. Temporary. Life is but a vapor, and then we're gone. Temporary. But we look at the things which are unseen, not seen, the spiritual. Looking at those things that are eternal. So we trust Him. We trust Him. Oh, do you trust Him today? I pray that you do. Oh, do you trust Him? Uh, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. We had it on the screen before the service. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That's a promise of God. Now, this old flesh and these old bones aren't going to last forever. But all while we're here, Ought to trust Him, to trust Him, to trust Him. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, you know these. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding what? Fruit. What we've been talking about. See? I am the vine, you're the branches. Like a tree planted by the water, like a like a like a branch that's grafted into the vine, drawing strength from the Lord. And we will not cease from doing what? Bearing, yielding fruit. Isn't it amazing how God's word comes together, comes together, comes together. May we continue to bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness. May we persevere. May we keep running the race with endurance. May we keep looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. May we find the joy of the Lord to carry on. And by the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we should be able to count it all joy when we fall into various trials and tribulations. James 1, verses 2 through 4. This, this was our first sermon in joy back months ago. Let's bring it all together now. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, knowing. If, if you're a born-again believer, you should know this. Know this. Know His Word is true. Knowing that the testing of your faith Produces patience. That the Lord allows us to go through testing, you see. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. May we come through it continually 
bearing fruit. Let, let's go ahead and let, let's read what we've been going over the last several weeks. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you should be grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Now let me pause there. As a, as a true born-again believer, as a, as a living branch that's grafted into the vine and bearing fruit, uh, we will never, never, never be cut off and cast into the fire as the rich man and as the dead non-fruit-bearing branches. That will never happen because He is holding us. And He is keeping us. He has given us eternal life. But, while on this earth, we will be tested by fire. The fire of trials, you see. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we go to chapter 4 in 1 Peter, him talking about the fiery trial, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange... Concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. We pause there again. Don't think it's strange when the trial comes because Jesus has told us we're going to have tribulation. We're finding it all throughout Scripture that trials and tribulations come to God's people. And it's for a reason, for a purpose, for a plan. So when the trial comes, don't think it's strange. But rejoice, verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. That when His glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. What's at the end of this journey? Joy. Joy. Joy for the believers. And we can rejoice even in the midst of a fiery trial because we know that God is doing a work. We can rejoice because we know as born again, a living branch, we know from His Word what the vine dresser, God the Father, will do. What's He do? He prunes. What is one of the means in which He prunes? Trials and testing. So we know that He is doing a work. So we rejoice. Rejoice in knowing that we are being Pruned that, that we are a living branch bearing fruit and He is working on us and He is refining us. Isaiah 48.10 Isaiah 48.10 Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you. This is the Lord. This is the Lord. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So does the Lord allow the testing of our faith? Yes. Yes. It will come. But be of good cheer. It is for a purpose and for a plan. Do we understand that? I hope we do. I hope you are learning this. We've gone through it so much. I hope it is sinking in. I hope we are learning this. I hope that we are learning so that when the next trial comes into our life, it doesn't just turn us upside down and we're running around, oh, why, why, why? But knowing that God is in control, and that He is sovereign, and that He has a plan and a purpose. Amen? God has a purpose. 
and the pruning that God does in our lives is for our good and His glory. Don't forget that. Knowing this, child of God, we can have joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy inexpressible. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. See, these are the reminders from God's words that, that we have looked at and looked at. And so may the joy of the Lord be our strength. Now remember what Jesus said in John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, I, I want to go back. Remember all of this. I want to go back and, 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 and look at this one more time. I, I, we're going to make this point over and over and over again and probably every Sunday I will in some form or fashion make this point. Back to Romans 2 verse 9. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. The non-fruit bearing branch. The ones who will be cast into the fire. But, chapter verse 10 in Romans 2, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, I want to remember Two groups of people. Two groups of people. Two outcomes. At the end of life, when this life is over, two destinations. No other choices. None other than this. Word of God tells us so. Verse 7 in Romans 2. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing Good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. This is a righteous who by the grace of God persevere to the end. A, a patient continuance. And they seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Two types of branches. And here, two groups. No other category. No other possibility. You cannot go after, after death. You cannot go from there to there. There is a great gulf fixed. So one group has escaped eternal tribulation and anguish. And here's what we want to look at as, as, we, as we close out in the coming minutes. But how? How did they escape? How did they escape so great a tribulation? How did they escape? Did God just dismiss their punishment for sin? No, He didn't. He didn't. Let me ask this. What is the punishment for sin? What is the cost of sin? What is the wage of sin? Death. That, that, that's Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages, for the cost, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then I'll ask this. Who has sinned? All. 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 Everyone ever born on the face of this planet, save Jesus Christ, born into sin. 
Romans 3, verse 23. For all, doesn't say most, it says all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's a category that everybody is in. Everybody. Born a child of wrath. You're not born at birth a believer. No. There's no process that's done to the infant that makes them a believer. Does not happen. You don't baptize them and call that a washing of regeneration. Well, they can. They can call it that, but it's not true. The wages, the cost of sin is death. The law of God demanded that a sacrifice for sin must be made. Then the sacrifice we know from God's word must be a blood sacrifice. For without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission of sin. That's from Hebrews 9. Verse 19 through 22. Let's read that. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law... Almost all things are purified with blood for, and, I mean, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So how did God take care of this? Verse 11 and 12 in Hebrews 9. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and bulls, but with His own blood, this is Jesus, with His own blood, He entered the most holy place. And, and what is this? What's that most holy place that's being referred to here? That, that, that's where the high priest, once a year, would go into the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifice, a blood sacrifice upon the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And here Jesus, the high priest, himself goes into the holy place. Jesus Christ himself places himself upon the mercy seat. Jesus Christ offers his own blood. The perfect sacrifice for sin. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. No need for this sacrifice ever to happen again. No, re-presenting it over and over and over again, one time, once for all. But with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. It's eternal redemption for all who would believe. All who would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered, talking about upon the cross, also suffered once for sin. The just, that's Jesus. For the unjust, that's me, that's you. Jesus suffered, the just for the unjust. Why? That He might bring us to God. 
What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through the blood of Christ that anyone can enter into God's presence for eternity with Him. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ died the atonement, the payment for sin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For He, for God, made Him, Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, for God, for He made Him, who knew no sin, and that's Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, you see, who knew no sin to be what? Sin. God the Father poured out His wrath upon His Son who took upon Himself sin, the sinless one. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. Jesus took upon Himself the punishment for our sins, child of God. Jesus bore the wrath and anguish that was mine when He bled and died upon the cross. And all who truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ are forever, eternally grafted in to the true vine. They are saved from wrath, saved from the fire, and they continue in doing good, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. Do we get the picture? Is it, is it clear what the Word of God says? And it's at this point, you know the question I'm getting ready to ask. As I've said so often, it's the most important question that could ever be asked upon the face of this planet. Do you believe? Do you believe the Word of God that it's true? Do, do you believe that this is just a mere book? Or do you believe that this is an inspired Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit to faithful men who wrote it down so that we might know God and His plan. Because if this is the Word of God, and this is truth, you've heard it today. There's no mistaking. You're one of two things. A living, fruit-bearing branch that's already been grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ, or you're a branch that will be cut off and thrown into the fire as the rich man. Do you believe? John 3, verse 14 through 19. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we know this is talking about the cross. Those in the wilderness, remember, you remember that from the book of Numbers. God had sent a curse upon them because of their disobedience and sin. He'd sent a curse upon them, and it was the, the, the serpents, the snakes, and they were biting the people, and the people were dying. Moses, help us, help us, help us. And God told Moses, fashion a bronze serpent, an image of the very thing that was killing these people. Place it on a pole and lift it up, and all who would look to that 
would live. What is killing mankind and sending them to the fire? Sin. What did God do? He made Christ, we read it, to be what? Sin. The very image of the thing that is killing mankind and sending them to hell. God the Father made Christ the perfect Son to be sin, to be lifted up so that all who would look to Him in faith believing would live. You see that? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why He came. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Saved from what? Wrath. Wrath. Verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Remember what we've read and what we've talked about. Wrath is abiding upon them now. They're already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. It was already condemned. He came to save those who would believe. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And we know those who practice unrighteousness, what will happen to them? Cut off. Anguish and tribulation for eternity. But for those who are born again, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We will not face condemnation. Christ took upon Himself our punishment for sin. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise of God. You will be saved. For, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him, on Christ, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. We'll be talking about that perhaps next Sunday or the Sunday after. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I think it's understood that that calling upon the Lord is a calling of faith, repenting of sin, and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Calling. 
faith believing. In Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For those who believe the message of the cross, it becomes for them the power of God unto salvation. For those who are nothing more than a dead branch waiting to be gathered up and cast into the fire, the message of the cross is yet nothing but foolishness to them. But for those who believe, the message of the cross becomes the power of God unto salvation. Oh, how important is the message of the cross of Jesus Christ? Oh, it's, it, it, it's eternally important. One more time, John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. There's one group. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him and will continue to abide for all of eternity. Two groups. Two groups. Jesus died for our sins on the cross to take upon Himself the penalty for sin, to take upon Himself the wrath of God to secure eternal life for all who believe. Wrath for the unbeliever, but blood-bought mercy for the believer. One more verse, Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, now let me pause there a minute. What, what did we say earlier? We were all born into sin. Every one of us wants sinners in need of a Savior. And while we were all yet sinners, what did God do? He demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which self in the verse, Christ died for us me much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him that's the believers that's the true branches the living branches fruit bearing branches that has been grafted into the true vine of jesus christ having been justified by his blood which he poured out upon the mercy seat we shall be saved from wrath because of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Your Word. And, and, and Father, at least for me, it seems very clear that there's only two types of people in this world, believers and unbelievers, um, uh, fruit-bearing branches and not fruit-bearing branches, those who are abiding in grace and those who are abiding under wrath. There's only two. And so, Father, it is only by the power of Your Spirit that, that brings along the truth of Your Word that, that You, in Your timing and in Your way, will open eyes to see the truth. 
It's not my persuasive words, Lord, but it's by Your Spirit. And so, Father, I would ask to perform a miracle of mercy for anyone who might be listening to this sermon today who is yet without Christ, who are yet in their sin, who are yet bound for wrath and abiding in it even now. That, Father, You would open their eyes to see truth. That You would shine light into a dark place. That You would reveal to them Your holiness. And in light of witnessing You and Your righteousness and Your holiness, that they would see their sin and they would have no other recourse than to bow, to fall before You, most holy God. And Father, then grant them faith Grant them faith that they may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, by faith and believing that they might confess their sin, that they might repent, and that, Lord, by Your grace, they might turn from their sin and follow You the rest of their days, giving thanks and glorifying in the miracle of salvation. And Father, for for those who are believers... Oh, Lord, may we glory in the grace that we have received. May we never forget the amount of mercy that has been shown to us who were so undeserving, who were yet sinners, but yet You sent Christ and He died so that we might become the righteousness of You through Christ. So, Lord, may we be forever grateful for the gift of mercy and grace and of redemption and salvation eternal life so father help us to live as we should in this life help us to not think it's strange when fiery trials come because we have been taught over and over in your word that they are coming and so lord help the believers to believe (laughs) help them to believe the word help them to know your word and lord help them to stand strong even in the utmost trial or the utmost tribulation that they may face on this earth, let them know that it is momentary. It is temporary. And Lord, should it last the remainder of our days like that thorn in the flesh that Paul had, even if even if the trial lasts the rest of my days, it would be short compared to eternity with you. So Father, help us all to see you. Help us to walk according to your word. Help us that everything that we would say and do would be for your honor and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.